Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, we are continuing in our worship service where we left off. It is 8-28-2022, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, here is the thought of the week. The seasoned believer loves God and loves his thoughts contained in the sacred scriptures. He keeps the word of God in his heart. Do you love God? Do you love the Lord this way, where you come to view his word, his teaching, and his thoughts as precious? How precious must we be to God that he would reveal his deepest thoughts? He is drawing so near to us, loving us, yearning for intimacy with us, and many simply do not care. If we cherished him the way he does us, his word would be hidden in our hearts. Our love springs to life as it beholds the love of God. This love becomes the motivation for our response to God in everything we do. We don't keep his word to show we love him. We keep his word because we love him. It is no long, It is no wonder then that the Lord uses the word in, in the sanctification of the church, quote, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. We are also given to know that, quote, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure, taken from 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. No other motivation will satisfy this spiritual life. Love was the foundation for our Lord's spiritual life, and it should be the cornerstone in ours. Quote, but the, word, uh, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Unquote. Another quote, come now, let us leave. And that's from John chapter 14, verse 31. I believe that was all one quote. The last statement is Jesus was on his way to the cross when he said this. And that is the thought of the week, and I'd like to offer a short commentary on that. Um, and here we see blatantly clear that love is the motivation in both directions, that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. Um, more than that, he revealed his deep thoughts and given us the spirit by which we can understand those thoughts, the spirit of truth he has indwelled in us. And these is not from work that we have done, but the work that Christ has done and completed and to be completed to the satisfaction of the Father. So let us focus on this love and, and, and involve ourselves in this love and let it be the motivation for our hearts to keep his word in, in us. Just like we had that example where, um, Somebody would, went off to the army, and, and for months they were not heard from. Finally, he sent a letter back to his wife, and his wife so loves him, and he loves his wife, that everything in that letter and about that letter is captured in her heart. So let us capture the love of God in our hearts in the same manner. And that is my commentary on the thought of the week. Now I'll turn it over to Dave for prayer. Amen. Thanks, Dwight. 
Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Okay, let's take it to the Lord and praise them. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, to allow the Spirit to teach us all your wisdom, Father, and knowledge so we can learn more from you. Father, we ask you, Lord, to protect the families that thought this prayer call so that you can provide for them the needs necessary, the needs that they need, Father, in this life. Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over those who are in need, look over those who are one, Father. We ask you, Lord, to look over those who are sick, Father, among us, Father. And we ask you for a special prayer for those who haven't who haven't known your son, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, so those who believe in him can have eternal life and they can have it more abundantly. Father, we ask you things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dwight. Appreciate both of you. Amen. And Amen. Amen. We are continuing um, in John chapter 17. Uh, this is our third swing at it. Uh, hopefully we'll... Uh, knock it out today uh, but I want to go back and just make sure we have the continuity of the context I'm going to read John 17 4 and we'll pick up right to where we are I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world they were yours you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me, None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture will be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. So that's where we are in our context. And when I go back and read all that we covered. It is amazing to think about all of those pivotal, critical, important uh, verses, <laughs> decrees that he talks about the church. Uh, it's such a richness in those words of Christ praying to the Father for us. So let's uh, let's get into it. Hopefully um, you have notes in front of you and your notes. There is an interesting theme in these last verses of Jesus' prayer. It is, quote, then the world will know that you sent me, unquote. That's verse 23, by the way. It came to me that if it is important to Jesus and the Father that the world knows about this, then it must be vitally important for us, the church, to know about this marvelous work done in us. Are you aware of what the Father is doing in this age? In one way, we can see that the Trinity is proud of what they are accomplishing in us, quote, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, unquote. That's Ephesians 2, 7. And rightfully so, for we are God's greatest achievement. As we live in Christ, this, quote, new creation, unquote, has been around for 2,000 years now. And for many, it is still a mystery. So, what can I say about all that we have covered and what the implications are for us, who we are in Christ, what the Father's plan for us involves. We talked about oneness, mutual possession. We talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, many of the results of the baptism of the Spirit. We have covered quite a lot, but we still have more to cover. And uh, until... Uh, this conversation becomes fluent in your mind and out of your mouths as it is uh, as we have studied and as we have see, as we see Jesus speaking these words to the Father. You need to be familiar with these words. These words speak of us, those of us who are in the church. We are the ones on the stage now. And it is our turn, you might say. So uh, let's look. We got a lot. We still have some to cover. Um, but I think we're, we just about got it. Uh, so the first thought was, I and them and you and me. And so we described quite a bit. Point number two was, so that they may be brought to complete unity. We discussed a lot of some technical details, um, some of the Greek words that um, 
are given to us here. Point three, then the world will know that you sent me. And again, we took another swing at this was the second phrase that we saw where Jesus repeated it. <clears throat> and we understood some things here. But we sort of left off right at the last point. And just as we're getting ready to go into point number four, and have loved them even as you have loved me. I just want to repeat point F and G for clarity and <clears throat> for recap. Point F, Christ is the image of the invisible God. That's Christ, uh, Colossians 1.15. This is a unique role, and the visible Christ must reveal the invisible God. And we, we also share in this unique role. So think about that. Christ, the person of Christ, who is uh, the unique person of God, has a unique role to fulfill. And part of it is he is, we know he's the creator, as Colossians goes on to tell us, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, and he goes on and on and tells us everything was created by Christ. But he now, even though when, he speak, when we speak about this, we're talking about some of the exploits that he did as God. Right, and because you can't just create all things, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or authorities or he, everything was created by him. That's a God thing. He, we can't. We can talk about him being a man and all that, but that is something that he did as God. And then when you know when we look at Colossians one fifteen, it says that all of these things were created by him and for him. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, the fact that he's the image of the invisible, that speaks to his human nature as well. It's not just about his divine nature, but notice how both are weaved into this so that it is not just, we're not talking about two persons now. We're talking about one person and I like the way Colossians 1 does it because it sort of says, let me tell you what his resume is. Right? You know, you can see what Paul's resume is in Philippians chapter 3. Well, circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin and all this. But, well, here in Colossians, we're seeing Christ's resume. So 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. Why is he the firstborn over all creation? For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So this is like a resume for the person of Christ. You've got his divinity displayed, some of the exploits that he did when he was as God, not when he was, but he, but as God, those are some of the exploits that he undertook. But then image is a reference to something that is visible and as opposed to invisible. 
So when he created all those things, he was invisible. He, you couldn't see Christ. But now the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have what we call the incarnation. There we have it. So then he is before all things. We already know that. And in him, all things hold together. See this hold together part? They, everything consists. That is not a part of his uh, human nature. That is a part of his divine nature. So the fact that he's, Paul is able to weave in and out of his exploits and speak of Christ in terms of his resume it speaks of the fact that it is one person who possesses all of this. One person. You might say there's three or four persons, but it's one person who possesses all of this. And then verse 18, and, and there's more? Yeah, there's more. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the, the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy so in everything and we already know um, about the fullness of God dwelling in him and on and on this person possesses everything that God the Father wanted from eternity past so Colossians 1 15 is unique it's you could read it again for yourself as you go back and, and you look at the exploits of who our Lord and Savior is, who, who actually is the one who created all things to begin with. This person is the very person that we are in union with, that we are, that, that we are predestined to be conformed into his very image. So if he has uh, this role, guess who else has this role? Us, right? We are, like it says, well, how, how high did we get to be raised? Well, I don't know. Let's give an example of Christ. Well, it is the same as him when he was raised from the dead and seated far above all principalities and powers and dominions and titles. So, yeah, the, the, the humanity of Christ is in that position. The deity of Christ has always been in that position. So... It just like it says, in everything he might have the supremacy. And guess what? We are in him. We are uh, united to the person of Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. So guess what? When we're reading his resume, we're also reading ours. That's a tough statement to make because we didn't create all things. But he did. But we're talking about the person that did all that. We are in union with that person. So everything that is his is ours. That's why it says in those scriptures in Corinthians chapter 3 at the end, it says, all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or things present, things to come, all things are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. So everything is ours. Just like all things are his, all things are ours. I mean, there are so many verses that are just said. Paul doesn't even mince words. He just comes right out and says it. That you just have to pay attention and allow yourself to, uh, to not have limitations on your thinking. Because what we have is not human. It is divine. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for us those who love him. 
And we'll get to see it, but he prepared it for us. So let's dig in. Uh, so in G, back to our notes, Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This says that the Father is pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. That means that the Father is proud of what Christ has accomplished. And he is proud to be represented by Christ. Remember, he is the image of the invisible God. So you, well, we know for us, we meet the Father. The fact that we have Christ, right? We are in union with him. That is parlayed into the fact that we now also have oneness with the Father, right? Just as you are in me and I am in you, Christ says. May they also be in us. So there's no limitations there to the work of God. But of course, whatever limitations there are, we put them on ourselves. We're the ones who put these limitations, these barriers up that say, oh, we can't go here. We can't say this. We can't do that. Well, I'm, I'm willing to put barriers up and limitations, but let's let God tell us what those limitations and barriers are. That's what we should do. So Ephesians 1.23, Hebrews 1.3 tell us about how um, Christ is the exact representation of his being. So Father, when he looks at Christ, you know, and in fact, if you look at the way, would you ever say there is another human being that could speak for you perfectly? Like they would say exactly what you want, wanted to say and exactly how you wanted to say it, you probably would say no. And this is not even fulfilling this verse, but it is a small uh, thought, a metaphor, just to try to help us understand what is being said here. Would you ever say that somebody perfectly speaks for you, perfectly represents you? You would never say that because there would always be something. They can't see your thoughts. They can't know you in that way completely so that they could fully represent you well father invested his entire plan in the person of christ christ when he looks back at what he's done he says perfect this is exact if you just follow what christ has right the mind of christ then you will perfectly fulfill what my thoughts are as well so that, it, it perfectly dovetails. Christ's thoughts are the Father's thoughts, exactly. The Holy Spirit's thoughts reveal Christ's thoughts, right? The pastor's thoughts are supposed to reveal what the Spirit of Truth has also uh, placed upon us as well. And there was nobody who's supposed to be thinking some different thoughts, and that goes down to the person listening. person listening should reflect the thoughts that are taught him and where he is built up in, in, in the word from the pastor. So we're going to move on to point number four. Point number four is, and have loved them even as you have loved me. So now we're talking about love. So the first thought, the Father loves them. And that wouldn't, wouldn't just be them, the disciples, but all of us, all of us who will believe in me through their message. So he, lo he loves us, right? Now, I can imagine <clears throat> this is known in a general way. And uh, people 
when they think about the love of God, lots of people will say, oh yeah, God loves us. Absolutely. I know that. I know about the love of God. He loves us. He loves us. He has died for us. You know, he, he'll, but this verse is not about that. And I know the commentaries will play on that. And, and, you know, I've seen some, I've read some just to see if some of them saw the distinction here of what is being said about the church and uniqueness about who we are in Christ, this new creation. I wanted to see, but uh, I didn't really find anything that was more than just a general way of seeing love. So that's why I'm pressing the point to say, is there another way to see this? Can we see love here expressed in another way how could and if so how so let's let's look at that point b in the context this prayer is focused on us in this new age where we are all in christ and part of the new creation that goes back to verse 20 and 21 so who are we talking about are we talking about believers of all ages or is this specific information that deals with us because when we get down to the love and he loved them just like he loved me and so forth we're not talking about salvation here i know people would like to say yeah he's got to be talking about salvation but believe me the context here is not about salvation all you have to do is look because it's he's a he's talking about those who are saved but more so it's about those who are saved and have undergone the baptism of the spirit where we are baptized into the body of christ so it's those who belong to this unique age that's what verses 20 and 21 my prayer is not for them alone who's them the disciples i pray also for those that's us who will believe in me through their message that's what we all did that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So does this go back to Moses and Abraham and, and Isaac and Enoch? And we could go on and on. Right? Does it go back to them? No, because he's talking about the disciples. His prayer stops right at them. My prayer is not for them alone. Well, okay, so we go back and get Adam and Moses and Daniel? no. He's praying for us who are in this unique age where we are, we are one and we talked about the dynamics of the baptism of the Spirit. So I, I find myself repeating, but I'm hoping that in your mind, you say, yeah, 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 that's what you should be saying. Yeah, 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 because we covered this and it should be significant to you. And if it's not, that's why I'm here to point out the significance, the distinctions that are made in these verses because they are talking about us, not anybody else, us. So when we see this point about what we're talking about and have loved them <clears throat> even as you have loved me, Christ is praying specifically for the church here. Not people, Israel, this, that, Gentiles. No, the church. So that's the context. It's, the focus of the prayer is this new age we are all where we are all in Christ and part of this new creation. That's point B. And I, I want people to recognize that 
<clears throat> distinction because now we're talking about love. And obviously, this love cannot be said to be expressed for believers of other ages. Now, listen, I know God loves believers of other ages. I, that's not what I'm saying at all. Of course he does. But now, can't God tell us something very special here about us? Can't he do that? The answer is yes, he can. And he is. That's the point of making. So while he's not talking about Moses and all the rest of them, and, and these people were saved too. I'm not saying they weren't. But there's a special love here that only applies to us. We're going to dig into that a little bit more because that's important, right? Especially if we want to reciprocate. We want to know what kind of love that is so that we can develop that love for him. Point C. Not only has the Father planned for us to be here, he did, right? And we were talking about the, the foundations here of the church. But we can also see his special love for us is what brought us here, right? Uh, wow. So if God didn't have this special love for us, we wouldn't be here. That's what I'm saying in point C. Because... Christ says, you love me before the world, right? I think that's in our next verse. Um, yeah, or or so, somewhere. We, we, let me see. I and them, you and me, so that the world may be brought to complete unity. That, that, that they may be brought to complete unity so that, that the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the same love that Christ received is going to be the same love that we have. You have loved them even as, just as, you have loved me. And we'll get to that point, but I just want, and then verse 24 says, uh, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Here it is. Because you have you've loved me before, the creation of the world. So now, we're talking about this glory, and we're talking about how we, being on the scene, fulfill the glory, because Christ says, uh, and glory has come to me through them, right? We read that earlier in the context. So without us, Christ is not going to be glorified, which is to say that Christ uh, is not complete without us. So the Father planned that this new creation, <clears throat> this monogenes, this person who is the Son, who is unique, who, has, who spans two natures, we were reading his resume earlier, his exploits, that we would be in him, but that is the Father's plan. That is his ideal for what he wanted before the world began. So the love, not only is the glory given to us before the, the same glory, right? This is the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And, and then that, so I wanted to read that point, and I know that's next week. We'll get to that next week. But, this point in verse 23 says, 
that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Well, when did you love me? Well, before the creation of the world. Well, that speaks, goes back to verse 5, where we're talking about the glory. Christ says, now, Father, give me the glory. It's time for glory. Right now, it's time for me to... What does it mean that the glory, it's glory time? It means it's time to start calling out those many sons into glory. That's what it is. It's, and that time is going on right now. So Christ is saying, okay, Father, I finished the work. So, and I, you know, this goes all the way back. You know, and, and the glory is, is us seeing the achievement of what you wanted from eternity past. That's what it is. It's, you, it's, it's now we're at that point where we're bringing those many sons into glory. Now, I can't, I can't be glorified completely without them. It's because of them that, glory has, that this glory has come to me. So now we're seeing the motivation of God in giving us this glory. And, and, and this motivation is not only directed toward Christ. The motivation is directed toward us. What is that motivation? Love. Because you have loved me, verse 24, before the creation of the world. And the same love that was given to him before the creation of the world is the same love, even as you have loved me. Give you have loved them even as you have loved me. Well, I can't say enough about this point. I really don't want to move on from this point because it's so important. <clears throat> it is so important because love brought us here in the first place. That's how we are in the position that we're in. That's why we are foreknown, predestined. Adopted as sons because of his love for us. I mean, that's why we're chosen. All you could say is, well, why, why did God choose us? Because of love. He, it is love for his plan. And we are the recipients of this plan. Now, you might say, well, did he love me especially? You know, it says he loved me. I, mean, I can't go beyond saying he didn't. It says he did. He loved me before the creation of the world. Now, does that mean he just loved his plan? Nope, but he just remember, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. What prompted him to choose me? It is that he saw me and he decided to pick me out, bring me on, on the scene at this point in time chose me. That's, that's how I got here in the first place. But what motivated him to do that is this plan to bring many sons into glory. He loved this plan. He loved the glory that would come from this plan. And that love is not only for Christ, it's for me too. Now, there's a lot of thoughts here. I mean, you could say, well, Christ did the work, right? You could say, yeah, Christ in verse 4, 17, 4, I have, now I have, Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, uh, give me the glory that I had with you before the world began. I can understand Christ saying that because 
he's integral to the plan in, in terms of him doing the work and finishing the work. What work did we do? We didn't do any work. But Christ is saying that the work he did brings us in him, right? He talked about the coming of the Spirit, the baptism, and all that stuff, which, where we're going to be identified with him. And the, the same love that the Father has for him is really the same love that he has for us. The same glory that the Father saw, with, which was the resultant or the achievement glory, is the same achievement glory that he sees in us. We didn't achieve it, but we are in Christ, having achieved it in him. So, just imagine. We didn't do anything for, for God to say, well, yeah, I love them even as I have loved you. How did he love Christ? Well, he loved Christ by putting him in this position. That's how. He chose Christ for this position. He said, all things are going to rest on your shoulders. Not only is the weight of the world, the sins of the world, going to be on your shoulders, but this plan, which really supersedes the salvation plan of God, this is the plan the Father wanted from before time began. You know, he chose us for this plan even before people were lost. Before the world began. Well, before Adam even ate the fruit, God chose us for this. For this glory. He loved us in this way. So that we would be right where we are, sitting right where we are right now. So, let's keep going. There's a lot, of, lot more implications of that love. We're going to get into it a little more as we go. He loved us even as. Even as. And that's that word that we saw before, kathos. And that word means according as, just as, even as, in proportion as, in degree that, since seeing that, agreeably to the fact that. All that comes from there. So all of that is to say, in the same way. So however he loved Christ, whatever proportion he gave love to Christ is the same proportion that he gives love to us. And whatever way he loved Christ, even as, in the same way as, is, it is the way he loved us. So there's no diminishing of our love that, that we have. It's, oh, well, he only loves us as creatures and he loves Christ as God or something. You know, No, the same way he loved Christ is the same way he loves us. And we're not talking about some general love. We already discussed that. This love is specific for us in this age. Well, for each one of us, what else do we know about? what he did for us. He had to choose us in him. I'll just read this in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, not that you haven't read it before, but as a reminder, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does all that mean? Wow. Oh, you, you should just you should just be saying wow at this point. Verse four: For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now, wrap your minds around that. 
before Adam even sinned, you were chosen for this, to be blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, you know, you should know that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the deep things of God are hidden. The Father's plan is in Christ. But man, he calls it the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We could go on with the unsearchable riches that are in Christ. And all of that, he chose you before you were even born in Adam. Lost, condemned, under the wrath of God, spiritually dead. He chose you in him before all of that. You just came through that, but you were chosen for this. So, we got to think about it. We really have to wrap our minds around it. So, we're going to go to the next phrase, point E here. Even as you have loved me. So, the love of the, Father, the, love the Father has for us is just as, in the same way as, the love he had for Christ from, the, from before time began. Well, it says right there in Ephesians 1, he chose us in him, in Christ. So his love motivated him to do things for us, just like he did for Christ. So what does it say in verse 5? He predestined us for adoption. Well, well, let's hold on, hold on, hold on. Verse 4 again. And this is a controversy of many people in verse 4. Not, not really. <laughs> Let me, I don't want to make a big deal out of something. For some reason, when you say controversy, some people get on the edge of their seat. They're like, really? I like a, a good controversy. Let's, let, let's have it, Doug. It's not that. It's, it's this. Let me give it to you. So some people think the end of verse 4 goes with verse 5. I'm one who think that, that this part where it says in love, right? I think that in love should go with verse five. Now, you know, the chapter, the verse um, separations are not divine, right? It's just a letter. There are no verses in the original. But so where it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Right. I think that should be the end of verse 4. And I think we should pick up with verse 5. In love. right? In love. See, he's giving us the motivation for why he did what he did for us. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So you can see that this love is not the same love that he has for everybody because everybody is not predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. <clears throat> everybody doesn't have that, but we do. So it's just like we are reading in John 17. It's for us. It's unique, right? I, hopefully you see that point as valid. So it's just as, it's the same way as... <clears throat> Right? It's the same love that the Father has for Christ is the same. He sees us in Christ. That is his ideal for the fulfillment of his plan. 
Right. We are him, his body. We are the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and everyone. That's Ephesians 1, 23 at the end. So, I want to explore love a little bit here. Let's get to it. It's our time. Before you know it, it'll be gone. Okay, so, um, so love he had. Let's go to this love. Let's look at it a little bit more because it's unique already. And we see it, what it motivated God to do. Not only did he choose us in Christ, but he, pre, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. He foreknew us to be predestined to the image of his son. Right? That love motivated God to do all of that. Right? So let's look at Ephesians 3, since we're already in Ephesians 3, 16 through 20. Ephesians 3, 16 through 20. Boy, I could certainly read before that. But for the sake of time, I'm going to start right where we start. 16, I pray, Paul says, that out of his glorious riches, we're just already talking about riches here. I hope dollar signs don't well up in your eyes when I say riches, right? People think that, like, oh man, I'm going to be rich. I got to get that car I always wanted. I want to get that house I always thought. I want to do this. I'm hoping you're not thinking like that. I really do hope that you can grow up to see that that is not God's point to make you some big shot in this world. That is not his aim here. But you already are a big shot in Christ. So I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So again, glorious riches here are mentioned. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, the same thing Christ was talking about is mentioned. But the strengthening that we need from, from his glorious riches is so that um, it, it affects what happens to us on, a, on the inside, the inner being. And that's where we know we are dead in our transgressions and sins. That's what God has to work with. But now, once we are born again or quickened or made alive to God, the Holy Spirit goes into action and he begins to work on us, throwing out, renewing the mind, those things that are negative. He has to throw them out and has to build us up with what God has made of us, who we are in Christ and so forth. All right. So here, <clears throat> verse 17, that happens on the inside first, before anything can happen on the outside. That happens on the inside. So, uh, verse 17, so that, right? So all of that strengthening on the inside is so that, in order that, remember Hina, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the, the fact that Christ is in us already, not only are we in him, we already saw uh, he in, he's in us and we are in him. We are, we've been talking about mutual possession in uh, John 17. However, there is something else that happens as a result of the strengthening. Because the strengthening and you, this transformation, the renewing of our minds and our inner beings happens as a result of our free will, giving ourselves to God the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide us into all truth. So this is <clears throat> these are volitional decisions that we make or to say it a simpler way, 
This is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is renewing our minds so that we can prove what God's will is, as good, uh, perfect will. This is sanctification, as theologians would also say. So it, this isn't just positionally, we are in Christ and Christ is in us now. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That means that you are allowing Christ to be himself in you, right? This is what Paul says, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? He's crucified. He's no longer here. But all of those were, were, were decisions that Paul had to make experientially in life, okay? So let's keep going. So dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. See, so the strengthening with power through the Spirit in your inner being enables Christ to be able to be at home or dwell at home in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, notice, <clears throat> in love, rooted and established. That, so when you, you talk about rooted and established, you're, you're talking about so that you cannot be moved. You know all these things we've been talking about are not just, like I said, you know, on the shelf. You know, oh, you want to talk about mutual possession? Let me get that book off the shelf and look at it. Let me review it. Oh, you want to talk about the baptism of the Spirit? Let me get that book off the shelf and look at that. No, all of those things are your identity. They speak of you. These are things that that tell of who you are. They're not on the shelf. They're in your heart. They're right there all the time. You have been transformed by these things. Not just you, you didn't hear them. You believe them. You trust in them to live your life. So let's keep going because uh, you that you may have this is so that you that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And it keeps going because that part lays into something else. But first, you have to have the strengthening. You have to have the transformation. of, of And then you have to be rooted and established. It, notice it's in love. Now, we're, we're going to see what kind of love and where this is going. Verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's people. Now, the power here... You might say, wow, we have divine power here and to with all but notice everybody has it available to them, together with all the Lord's holy people. But not every every person will avail themselves of it, even though it's available. Just know. Because we already saw the mindset of the person, the seasoned believer who is moving in this direction. So that this, and in, in, in order that, that will happen for them. So he says that they may have power, once they're rooted and established in love, may have power. Now the power here is not to move mountains, to fly, right? To, to have some, you know, uh, you know, tremendous thing happening for you on this earth. But the power here is to grasp, to comprehend, to, to attain information, 
<clears throat> and what is it? How wide and long and high and deep. So these are dimensions, right? If you're looking at dimensions, and once you understand these dimensions, obviously you understand it from any angle whatsoever. So what are we understanding? <clears throat> are we understanding how God created the universe? Are we understanding um, science, how man was created? Or what are we understand? What is it that we're supposed to know all of the dimensions so that we understand it from any angle, wherever we are, from any vantage point? We know whether it's up or down, down or up, left or right, up, any way you can think about it. We know, we see, right? That we can understand. Now, obviously. You have to have power to do it. So it's not our power. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who's leading and guiding us into all truth. It is not any power that we inherently have as human beings. It is power that has been infused in us by means of the assets provided those in this particular age. Right? So let's keep going. And we may have power together to, with all the Lord's holy people. He's talking about the church to grasp because remember none of this information was even available before it was hid in god right it was nobody knew it it was it was the mystery it's what we paul calls the mystery nobody could even understand it and we know when we say to grasp remember eye is not seen ear is not heard neither has it entered into the heart of man that's the kind of information that's available to us right now but but you've been rooted, established in love in order that you may know, right? Have power together with all large people to grasp the dimensions of how high is the love of Christ. Now, this love of Christ isn't just the love of the Father for Christ. It is the love of Christ reference with reference to the Father's ideal plan for Christ. Now that love of Christ includes us, as we already have been making the point earlier. Hopefully you've got that point and you know that the love of Christ could be translated love for Christ. How deep is the love for Christ? And when you think about that, it is very deep because We've been talking about it from the standpoint of John 17. But now, experientially, you can come to know this love for Christ. And what God's plan was to choose Christ so that he would be the progenitor of a new creation. And that new creation is who we are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So we're here now, and that's what he's talking about, that we not only are here, but that we understand it. We grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The love for Christ is the plan. That's the Father's plan. But we know it, not just in passing, but we know the plan intimately. Why do we know it so intimately? It's not like we're talking about some Old Testament saints or what did Abraham think or what was Job thinking. But we're knowing it from an intimate standpoint because 
It is what the Father is thinking, and it's about us. It's intimately about us. Verse 19, let's keep going. We might have to go over a little bit. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses. In other words, it goes beyond knowing. And the word there is gnosis, right? So it's what generally people can know. But this love obviously is not in the realm of what human beings can know. We already quoted the verse in 1 Corinthians 2, right? Where it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. But God has revealed these things to us by means of his spirit. So we know, we have this information available to us. And this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but words taught us by the spirit. Right? This, is, this is what we know right now. And to know this love. So is it, do you see what the, what the quest is here? It is not that we have some sort of power when, when we walk or our feet leave the ground or when we're around people, you know, they vibrate because we have so much power like a generator or something that they vibrate because of us. No, that's not it at all. It's about understanding the Father's plan, becoming intimately aware of what the Father has done. Not only when you see the height, depth, width, and length, and how deep and all that is, that means that you're able to see it in the same way they see it. To know this love, that it goes beyond the human wisdom. Right? This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. That you may be filled to the measure, this is Ephesians 3.19 now, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Huh. We, we might need a whole week for that, but we're going to try to condense it a little bit for the sake of what we're talking about, and that is love. We, what will we have if we're filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? We will be able to see eye to eye with the Father's plan from eternity past, before time began. Now, how did you get to that point? We already saw it, right? The glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all. That's how we got there. Through our volitional decisions, our humility to allow the spirit to lead us into all truth. And here it is. To the measure. That tells me. He didn't just say, you'll be filled up. You'll be filled as much as any human being can be filled. He says, you're going to be filled. And I'm going to give you the measure of how you're going to be filled. To the measure of the fullness of God. To the exact understanding that God has. Because that's what we're talking about here. How to grasp. right? That we may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp the love of Christ, the love for Christ. How important this is to the measure, to, to the extent of this, the same fullness that God sees it, the same level that God has. That's the measure. And the same thing we, we saw in Ephesians 4, or we're going to, we're not going to see it today, but where it says that we will be filled to the measure 
and fullness of the stature of Christ. So in Christ, all of these things exist. And all we are doing is coming to the very mind of Christ here, experientially. So it says, again in verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond knowing. It's beyond what any human being can know. Why? Because it's revealed by the Spirit. It's about things that happen outside of the realm of human history. It happened before time. Who, who's talking about things that happened before creation? Cogent thoughts of God that happened before time began? Well, this is given to us. And, and then it says not only that we're supposed to be aware of it, but, but we're supposed to traffic in it, but know it up and down and inside out to be filled to the measure, the same way God knows we're supposed to know, to the same level God knows we're supposed to know. Wow. So Okay, so verse 20, and we're going to move quickly. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So don't think... Oh, Doug, you're saying things that are outside the realm of human possibility. I am saying things outside the realm of human possibility. Yes, immeasurably more than we can imagine. Because we already said it goes beyond knowing. It surpasses, goes way beyond what human beings can know. It was hidden God but it is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to what? My own human power, my own intellect, my own wit or, or imagination? No, not at all. According to the power that is at work within us. What power is that? It goes back to the earlier verse. Where I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. How does it? Through his spirit in your inner being. There power that is at work within us. It's, it brought, it's good. That's what it's saying. It's going to bring us to a point where this is God's ideal for you while you're here in this world. Now I know positionally all of that all of them, God already said, he decreed over us before we even were here in John 17, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you and may they also be in us. He already said that was true of us. But now Paul is saying, let me take it a step further. Let me show you not only those things are true, but let me show you how to experience those things while you're here. You can see the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You can, you can understand that. You can be the recipient of that and understand it intimately while you're here in this world. The quest is for you to know, right? The quest is for, is for the love, and the love is related to the Father's eternal purpose. Oh, so let me, let me move forward with, there's another verse, going back to my notes, point F, and then we're going to have to close, but we'll finish up next week. So point F, in fact, the love for Christ is the love for us. Romans 8, 35 to 8 to 39. Let's look at that before we close and we'll 
finish this off next week. So Romans 8, 35 through 39. There's a lot to cover here. I'm sorry that we're spending so much time. I hope uh, it's yielding some understanding on your part. 35. So get this point. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Same phraseology we saw in Ephesians chapter 3. Love of Christ, right? That same thought. Who shall separate us? Well, we already know from, from our Roman study who he's talking about. He's talking about the Jews. They rejected the idea that God could choose the church, that God uh, wants the, the church to, to be his people at this point in time. Jews rejected that. So who condemns? Who is he that would lay a charge against us? It is the Jews. They're saying, no, the church age can't be. Can't switch from the Mosaic law to whatever you are saying this church is. Well, God can do that, and he did. Yes, he did. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. I'm sorry you don't like that, but it's true. It's about us. It's what God did. So then, <clears throat> so when we see this third, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How, is it possible? Notice, who shall separate us? Us from the love of Christ. It will, so, so in other words, the love of Christ is the same love, just like we've been reading in John 17, the same love for Christ is the same love for us. Nothing can separate. Because this goes back before any of these things were created or could possibly happen. Because This love was before time began. So how, how can anybody be separated from that when this is the plan, the original plan from the Father for, for this to happen right now? Nothing. You could suggest that somebody could separate you, but you'd be totally wrong. This is what Paul's reasoning is. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of sword. All those things happened to the believers, but nothing can thwart the eternal purpose of the Father and his love for Christ. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. He's saying, bring it on. Bring it on. None of that can separate. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and in, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved who? Christ? No, us. The love of Christ is the same love that we have. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing. Remember, this love was before creation. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the, notice, us, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the plan no matter what, come what may, let human history come, let human history rail against us, it won't matter. 
because this is the Father's plan for us. Your quest to come to know these things, to come to understand them in such an intimate way, as we have read in Ephesians and Romans. So we're going to have to stop. I know we're getting to the place where our time has concluded, but you know, my desire to tell you more has come up against our time. So we're going to have to just stop and not rush, and we'll continue these thoughts next week. And I'm sure we'll get into verse 24. We already have gotten into verse 24, but we'll get more detail as well. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for what you have given us, this glorious truth. Um, it's Not only does it talk about your intentions, the thoughts and intents of your heart before time began, but it also describes us in time right now. It gives us opportunity to not only reciprocate, to love you in the same way you loved us, but that would require that we learn of you, that we learn of this glorious plan, the height, the depth, the width, and the length of this plan. It requires that we allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth, to grow up into him who is the head, right? That all of this is upon us, right? As we grow in grace, we come to know these things. And you said that you would reward us for the works done while in the body. Most of those works are learning, just learning who we are. You haven't even asked, asked us to do anything that was any superhuman strength, but you you've want us to know. You want us to understand all the wisdom and the knowledge, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in your Son. So we thank you for this. Uh, we appreciate being chosen. We couldn't have chosen ourselves. Uh, we are the recipients of your glorious sovereign grace. We thank you for those who are on this call, the, the extended Word is Truth family, wherever they may be. We pray for believers all over the world because with we are all members with them in one body. And we pray for the church, just as Christ did. He says, I'm not praying for the world at this point right now. I'm praying for them. So we thank you for that consideration. Thank you for your love choosing us and placing us in this position and we reciprocate by living a life worthy of the calling that we have received we thank you in christ's name we pray amen amen amen, amen. amen.